good? Good to see you. We're in Galatians chapter 5 and heading into chapter 6 this morning. If you turn there in your Bibles, I appreciate that. Galatians chapter 5 and into chapter 6. We're almost done. Can you believe it? We're almost done. Yeah, yay. (laughs) It's about time we get done with this book. No, I I, I don't know about you. Um, I have really enjoyed uh, this, this truth, this book. This letter from Paul to the, the Galatian churches, um, and it's it's rich. It's rich with the content of the gospel and the purity of the gospel, and he fought for that so fervently. I could stay here all my life probably in this book. Um, I hope it's something that continues to, to resound in your life and your heart uh, throughout all of your days as you think about the gospel and the purity that, that of the theme, right? Jesus plus nothing is, is everything. He equals everything, and uh, and we want to we want to just embrace Christ as our everything. So we have been working our way through uh, the text, um, and, and Paul has adamantly fought for the purity of the gospel, right? He's, he's told the, the churches there, don't listen to the false teachers, don't try to add something to Jesus that he never intended you to add. He wants you to embrace Christ alone and let, let us then be led by the Spirit. Uh, the entire book is this contrast about living by the Spirit versus living by the flesh, that there is a way to live that's by the flesh, that seems right, that maybe seems appropriate at times. Uh, there, are, there are different ways of the flesh, right? Uh, previously, we said there's flesh that looks good and, and like looks moral and looks like you're doing everything right. And then last week, we talked about uh, the lust of the flesh and cravings of the flesh actually are sinful things, right? Uh, wrong, things that we could actually do wrong and crave that are wrong and against God's will and against God's design. But then there's the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one that we embrace. The Spirit of God is what leads us into truth convicts us of sin and moves us to repent and to, to believe the gospel, that, that he accomplished everything through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, that when we embrace him, when we believe the gospel, then he, he changes us. He, he forgives us, he cleanses us, and he, he changes us from the inside out. We talked about living out our faith by grace, right? We understand we're saved by grace through faith and in Christ alone, and now we want to live out our faith by grace and in Christ alone, and pursue Jesus as our most valued treasure. And that's kind of been the theme the last few sermons, is that Jesus is a treasure, and it's going to continue to be a resounding theme. Why? Because Jesus is a treasure, and Jesus should be treasured. And in our relationship as, as the family of God, as the people of God, we are to treasure Christ and His Spirit above anything else that we pursue. Remember last week, we, we had the man who was in the field, and he found the treasure, and he, he buried it again, and he went and sold everything he had so he could purchase that field. And that was the illustration between uh, for you and I to give up and forsake everything so we might pursue and embrace the treasure that we have in Christ Jesus. He is a treasure. Last week, we brought up some tough things. We talked about the cravings of the flesh. We spoke about sexual sin, right? Adultery and homosexuality and, and lust and, and things like that. We talked about man-made religious sin in idolatry and, and craving mind-altering states, whether through weird meditation on created things or through mind-altering drugs. We talked about relational sin as well, jealousy and anger and envy and drunkenness and, and things like this. And, and, and what Paul was saying is that this is not how believers in Christ behave. Because they have treasured Christ so much, they have forsaken everything and, and sold everything to embrace Him. And, and that's what real repentance looks like. I want us to understand that. Like Repentance is not to just forsake bad, to be good for good's sake. Repentance is coming to Jesus with nothing attached. 
Remember last week I told you that sometimes we, we want to hold on to a sin or a position or, or some, we want to hold on to something and we bring it to Jesus saying, God, I, I want you, I want you, I believe in you, but hey, this is a deal breaker. I've got to bring this with me. And he says, then it's a deal breaker. The deal's broke. Because you can't bring anything to Jesus and add to him because that's how we add to the gospel. We add sin or position or, or request or preferences and say, well, I, I still think this is okay. I want to I want to carry this with me. And Jesus says, no, you've got to leave it all behind. You can come as you are, but you've got to come broken and empty before me. And when you come broken and empty, then you're truly, truly, passionately hungry and thirsty for him. You're truly wanting him and desiring him as a a satisfying treasure of your soul. If I hold on to something and say, well, I've still got this, then I've still got some kind of treasure in my life that I want to keep. And it's not the treasure that we're intended to to pursue or hold on to. Christ is. So we, we talked about last week this craving and, and this craving of the Spirit of God. We'd crave the Spirit. And, and the final part of chapter 5 talked about the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just goodness for goodness sake, right? It's, it's, it's a morality. It's, a, it's a, a fruit that comes from within because He is doing a work inside of me. Because I have treasured Him and I'm craving Him. And the more I crave Him, the more He produces in me. And those things are love, right? And joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what he's going to produce in us. And that is the opposite of the cravings of the flesh. So we can't bring some craving of the flesh or some idea that I can take this along with me and come to God saying, okay, change me and make me new and produce a fruit in in me that's unlike anything else. Oh, but by the way, I want to hold on to this. They are in opposition to each other. And that's why we got to crave the Spirit of God, treasure the Spirit of God, in our life, because only He can satisfy. It's about living, living out right doctrine, not just believing right doctrine and, and doing good for good's sake. It's living out the doctrine that Jesus plus nothing actually is everything. So today we move on from that passage and we go to the last two verses of chapter 5 and, and into the first 10 of chapter 6. And what we're going to look at today is, is life lived by the Spirit as, re, as it relates to one another as it relates to the body of Christ or the family, the family of God. You know, we have this, this illustration throughout all the Galatians that shows the spirit and the flesh, the spirit and the flesh. And, and we need to understand that there are times that we take the family of God, the body of Christ, for granted because we want to live more by the, by the flesh. We want to just put in our time, punch our time clock, and, and head out. But this is the living, breathing body of Christ that we are part of now. And when we talk about living by the Spirit, we see that we become heirs with Christ. We, we, we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family, into the fold of God. And it is, a, it is to be a family. It's to be a household. And sometimes that gets messy, doesn't it? One of the things that I've seen uh, in statistics recently about churches and church growth and church health, uh, and it comes up probably every six months because I think people like to squawk about it, and I, I, I understand why. But this is, this is a, a theme that's going on. People are increasingly saying, I do not like the greeting time at churches. Just let's stop doing the greeting time. No more shaking hands, no more hugging, no more, no more greeting. I get it because I've been there. Some of you have been there or maybe are there. You hate the greeting time. You come after it. You're like, I want to avoid it at all costs. But I want to encourage you in something. We are a family. And we are to be a family of God. You know, when I, when I go to a Christmas party 
at my family's house, it's when the family gathers, right? It's a big gathering. Or when I go to a Thanksgiving gathering. It would be very awkward for me to walk in the house, right, and, and just walk past everybody, go sit in a chair and sit down and just start looking through my, my Facebook feed. It would be really awkward, wouldn't it? People in my family would murmur to themselves, what's going on with Brandon? That's weird. Like, why is he? He didn't even say hi. He just walked right past us and went and sat down and did his thing. You see, when we're a part of a family, we don't just walk right past each other, sit down, and go do our thing. That's, that's, that's inconsiderate. That at the very least, it doesn't build rapport and relationship with one another, does it? But see, when we, when we go to a family gathering, when we enter into that family gathering, there, it's the first thing we do. We bring our tray of food and we set it on the counter to get it out of our hands so then we can go to every single person in our family and, and get a handshake or a hug and check in and say, how you doing? It's good to see you. You're my family. You're, you're my crazy uncle. How you doing? Whatever it might be. And that's how the household of God should also be. And I know it's hard to think about that. And some of you are like, you shouldn't have said that. I wanted to be squirming and come later. And, and do that. That's okay. If you need to come later and you need to, to build that up, that's fine. Or at least find somebody that can be your immediate relational family in the family of God. And hug on them or shake their hand and, and get to know them and talk to them because that's how we build a relationship and a rapport. Because the next portion of Scripture we walk into is going to be very difficult if we don't have that relationship and rapport. We were not meant to be independent. We were meant to be interdependent. Amen? That's what a family is all about. And I, I hope that your family, your regular family, is kind of not that awkward to say, you know, to not say something when you walk past them and go sit down and do your own thing. I, I think that when we really are family, whether you're hosting or whether you're going to the host house, you enter with the expectation, I want to be relational. I want to be in relationship with these people because they are my family. And it's, it's weird because even when we talk about the gospel, the gospel, Jesus says that, that the gospel separates families. I have weird uncles and crazy cousins and, and crazy family who don't love Jesus. But I still go and embrace them and love them and hug them. When we talk about the family of God, those of us that have been adopted into the kingdom of God and the family of God, we are all brothers and sisters. We're more like-minded than most of us in our immediate families, aren't we? At least we should be. More like-minded and more relational and loving here than we are even in our own family. So I hope, I hope that encourages you to maybe step outside of your comfort zone and go ahead and, and shake a hand and say hi and build a relationship, all right? So we're in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 25 and then go into chapter 6, okay? Let's pray and we'll read our text. Father, we're so grateful to be here today. We're so grateful for your word. We ask that you would guide us into all truth, that you would open our hearts and by the power of your spirit, you would convince us of your truth and convict us of sin and God, move us into a, a place of obedience and repentance, of emptiness before you, that we might treasure you and your spirit above all things. We thank you for the grace that you give us. We thank you that we are saved by grace through faith and in Christ alone. We lift up Jesus today, and it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. All right, chapter 5, we're starting in verse 25, going through 610. If we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if someone is caught in a wrongdoing, 
You who are spiritual should restore such a person in a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you, you, are not, uh, you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he'll have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. The one who has taught the message must share his, good, his goods with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have, an op- have opportunity, we must work for the good of all especially for those who belong to the household of faith. All right? So let's, let's look at this a little more in depth. I want to look at how the Spirit of God relates to the one another's, to you and I. What, what does the Spirit of God's leading do uh, amongst us? All right, you ready? Number one, the first thing is this. Uh, he, he leads us to gently restore our brothers and sisters. The Spirit of God leads us to gently restore our brothers and sisters. And I want you to think about this in the relational context. Being restored by a brother or sister in our faith is much easier when we have developed and built a relationship with that brother or sister. That's why it's called a family. We build a relationship for, those, for that purpose. We restore our brothers and sisters. Verses uh, 25 through 6-1. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if someone is caught in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. So we have this contrast, this deep contrast that Paul continues to show us through the book of Galatians between living by the flesh and living by the spirit. And in the first part of this, he says, so live by the spirit and, and we'll, so since we live by the spirit, we'll also follow the spirit. I want to live by the Spirit. I crave Him. Now I'm going to be led by Him, right? I, I said last week our hearts were not meant to what? To lead, right? Or to, or, to be follow, or to be followed. They were meant to be led by the Spirit of God. And verse 26 says, We must not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. There's, there's oftentimes pride will slip in, and, and, we'll start, and this is where judgment starts happening. We, we don't want to be in a relationship to someone else because I have a, pr- a pride problem, some kind of a pride problem between me and my brother or sister. So I just provoke or I envy or I, or, um, I become conceited or jealous or angry, and I just, I just want to not have a relationship there at all. And what Paul is saying is that's not how we are to live. We're to live by the Spirit of God, and we're going to follow the Spirit of God into true relational, relational love for one another. Look what he says at 6.1. 6, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are conceited, provoking, and envying? No, that's not what he says, right? He says, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves that you won't also be tempted. See, the contrast is you can't live a life being conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another in pride and jealousy and hate, and then go to a brother or sister in spiritual gentleness, can you? Those two things can't coexist. So we have to be in a place where we humble ourselves, because one is self-seeking and the other is self-centered, or others-centered, rather. We often think that God just wants us to be good for the sake of being good, so we put in our time. But it's not about that. It's about being led by the Spirit of God. There's a purpose behind His desire for us to 
be good or, or to love others or to be led by the Spirit and produce fruit. If you and I are stuck living selfishly by the flesh and by our own pride, then we are in no position to help a brother or sister out who is stuck in the same place. See, there's a goal. When we talk about living in a way that honors God, we're living in a way that will benefit the body of Christ also. Because we can't approach each other with our pride, right? Or in pride, in envy, in hate, in jealousy. We have to approach each other in humility, in gentleness, and in love. In the family of God, when we, when we get stuck in the same place and the same sin and, and struggle and pride, then the family, becomes, the family of God becomes a people that are independent and no family at all instead of being interdependent on one another. There are kind of three little sections to the restoration I want to, I want to point out today, okay? As we look at restoring a brother or sister, there's, there's, it's spiritual. You do it in a spiritual way, right? Those who are spiritual. You do it gently. And then it's, it says be careful or watchful. Right? So, so it's spiritual, it's gentle, and it's careful. Notice it says there in, this, in the passage that if there's a brother or sister struggling in sin, you who are spiritual should take action. That should stop us right away. Right? We want to say, I want to take action. That person's wrong. That person's behaving poorly. They're, they're bad. Almost always, we have to, and I would say always, we have to stop. And we have to analyze and think about our own heart. Examine where we are in looking at that person, and, and, and is it in pride or is it in love? Is it in selfishness or is it, is it, is it selflessness, looking at their life? It's, we must be spiritual. That means that you are humbly being led by God's Spirit. And, as Jesus said, that you have examined your own heart and removed the log from your own eye before you go and try to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. We have to. We have to examine our heart. We have to go to a brother or sister as a spiritual brother or sister, not as a bully or a big brother or sister would, right, under the gun and give them a noogie. That's not what we're there to do. Right? We're there to love and be spiritual. Why? Well, because we've been united and adopted into the family of God, and we should take the relationships with each other more seriously. We're a family. And families are to be relational. I want you to think about this. You know, we, we, we always think, I don't want to chase a brother or sister. I don't want to hound them. I don't want to confront them if they're wandering off. How, how many pet owners do we have? Or, or former pet owners, right? Two? No. I mean, most people here have at some point probably had a pet in their life. And I want you to think about the, the joy that you get from having that pet in your life. And, and should that pet, pet escape or run away in the afternoon today, right? This evening, you would be fervently going everywhere to try to find that pet. You'd be making posters or have someone else make posters and putting them up. You'd be calling people. you put it on, on social media so, to make sure, hey, there's some, that my pet is lost, and I want them to be brought back. If only we would take our relationships with each other that seriously when we wander. Right? If we'd be that passionate about a brother or sister who has, who has fallen and needs to be restored. Again, this is, I, think, I think we get it wrong. We, we, we say, oh, I don't want to do it. It's none of my business. Right? But no, this is a person who is a like-minded brother or sister who, who wants to love Jesus with all their heart, but they're struggling. Maybe what they need is for us to approach them and help them, pick them back up again. It may be none of your business. 
Maybe you don't have a strong relationship with that person, and that, and that will create a little friction. But as you develop relationships with people, it, it is our business because we are a family united by the gospel of Christ. And when one member of our body suffers, guess what? The whole body suffers too. Right? Again, it's not becoming the morality police. It's not becoming a bully or a judge. We are talking about comforting each other and confronting each other in love as dearly loved family so that we would fall into the hands of other misfits who have grown and have been changed by the Spirit of God and who are embracing us with loving arms in order to pick us up and to set us back in order. That's what that word restore means, is to set back in order. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. I want to show you another text that Jesus shows. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 15 through 17 together. 18, 15 through 17. This is Jesus talking about how we are to confront our brothers or sisters in sin. Chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, it says this. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won, uh, won your brother. If he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention to them, then tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. There is a progress, there's a process that we are to go through when we restore a brother or sister. And, and oftentimes we, we, uh, it, it takes courage to do that. And oftentimes we are led more by fear. I, I want to qualify this because I think you're going you're gonna to understand me in this. There, there are people we should have in our lives that we can run things by. People that, that we can go to and say, I just need your wisdom and advice. And I'm going to follow that wisdom and advice. And when you have that, that's wonderful. You surely can go and ask them wisdom and advice and let them tell you and then go obey that. But more often than not, when it relates to other people having a problem with another person, they don't go talk to that person, do they? They go talk to somebody else about that person. Do you know what that is called? Gossip slander, and that is sinful. That's not the way Christian brothers and sisters should behave. What Paul is saying and what Jesus just said, he says, if a brother or sister sins against you or is in sin, you go to him in private. You go talk to that person. You, you let them know, listen, may, you may not even know that you said this or did this or this is what you said and this is how I took it. Can we talk about it? But it's that private, gentle, you who are spiritual and humble, going before a brother and sister, pleading and saying, listen, I want us to be right. I want us to be, be back in right relationship with one another and with God. Let's figure this out. And too often we lack the courage to do that because we don't want to be gentle and we don't want to be humble. And instead, when in fear, we go to a brother, another brother or sister, for I, I want you to pray for this. I want you, to, you know, we cover it with that. I'll share this so you can pray. Right? But we, we do that. I, now, I said, I qualified. You can have that person who you are seeking wisdom from. But let that wisdom they give you be the, be the counsel that you need and go obey that. Go listen to that. Because if you're not really wanting counsel and not wanting wisdom and not going to obey it, then you shouldn't be talking to that person in the first place about somebody else. This, this is a huge problem within 
culture. It's, it's a big problem in the church. We like to talk about people to other people instead of talking to somebody about how they've hurt or sinned against us. We have to because it heals the body of Christ. We aren't to gossip and slander somebody. We're to pull them aside and gently and lovingly say, listen, this is what happened and this is how I feel. What are your thoughts? Can we clarify what happened? I, and I love, I love that when someone comes to me and does that. Because I give, it gives me an opportunity to see their heart and to hear from their heart, but it also gives them an opportunity to see and hear from my heart as well. And if I'm wrong, I will say, I am so sorry. I, am, I was so wrong. Please forgive me. I, don't, I did not intend that. Or man, maybe at that point I did intend that and I shouldn't have. I am wrong in that. I want to be in a right relationship with those who are united together in like-mindedness with Jesus Christ. I don't want to be broken in a broken relationship. And that's what this word restore means, is to reset or put back in order it's the same word used uh, when a doctor would treat a fractured bone and splint it and set it and get it in place so that it could heal and be back to normal again. That's, that's what it is. It's a, it's a notion of restoration and, and not tearing down or embarrassing, but, but building up. It's positive. It's constructive. It may not always feel great, but that's why we do it in gentleness and with respect and in love. It's gentle. So it's spiritual and it's gentle. Martin Luther once told a pastor who was going to restore a brother, he said this, he said, run to him and reaching out your hand, raise him up again, comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. And that's the idea of gentle restoration. We can still say hard things, but we can do it in gentleness. Listen, our deep understanding that the gospel is Jesus alone, Christ alone, and nothing added would, would lead us so far away from pride that we could only approach a brother or sister in gentle love. When we really embrace the gospel, that it's Jesus Christ alone, and that he is everything, there's no notion of me that needs to be added to that. My pride can be gone and dispelled, from, dispelled of, and I, and I can come to a brother or sister in, in real humility. You see, we cannot claim to be independent from one another. We cannot strive to be independent from one another. We are interdependent. We are the body of Christ. And our sin, my sin always affects you and your sin affects me. We have, it affects one another. And, and what I want to tell you today is if you, are, if you are in sin, if you're struggling there, if you've fallen, if you're needing to be restored, be willing then to receive help. Be ready to say, yes, please pick me up. Please pick me up and set my bone. When you break your arm, you're not embarrassed to go to the doctor and have him fix it. You're in pain and it's causing agony and you want it to be healed and to be well. And that's what Christ followers, followers want as well who crave the Spirit of God in their life. It's not only for your good, but it's also for good for the family of God. Next, how do we see the Spirit lead with one another? Here's number two is we humbly bear the burdens of others. We humbly bear the burdens of others. Look at verses 2 through 6 in Galatians 6. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. The one who is taught the message must share his goods with the teacher. Let's, let's talk about this. As a family of God, we don't only help Others repent and be restored from sin, but we also should be observant and attentive to the needs around us. 
there are needs and, and despairing situations and things going on around us in our body that need our attention and our care. So one is we, we lift them up to restore them, and this one we, we hold them up. We hold them up and carry a burden like a brother or sister should do. And, and when it talks about these burdens, these are heavy burdens that are, that are crushing our brothers and sisters. They're crushing our brothers and sisters. And we, we need to look around and say, what might be crushing you? But there's also a sense that you and I need to be vulnerable with each other. You and I need to be willing to say, listen, I, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. The, 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 and, we, and in pride, we, we kind of not, we don't want to share sometimes, don't, right? We, we keep from sharing how we hurt. We keep, keep from sharing how, how we're being crushed because we think, oh, well, I, I should be able to handle it on my own. I don't want to be a burden to somebody. What does Scripture say? We bear their burdens. We, we should long for you to be burdened for me. I want you to be a burden for me so I can share and carry your burdens. That, that's what we're commanded to do. It's loving, and even the best of Christians needs that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says this, in 5-7, through 7, it says, In fact, we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears inside. But God, who comforts the humble, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me that I might, that, so that I rejoiced even more. Paul, the Apostle Paul, needed someone to help carry burden. You and I need to be comforted. We need to be strengthened by each other and, and carry each other's burdens. Burden-bearing is a command. This passage, this passage shows us that. The Galatians passage, passage shows us that. And it should lead Christ followers further. And point people to Jesus in the way that we love one another and prove to the world that we are his disciples. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus speaking, he says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God has loved us in an amazing, amazing way to, to make our burden and our yoke light. Right? It's easy and light. And we are to love each other in that same way by carrying burdens. And as we love each other, the world's going to look in and say, wow, look how they love. Look how God has loved them and look how they love. It's a great honor. And we should delight in the truth that we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we crave him, love others and lighten the heavy burdens of life. We should devote ourselves to that. I want to be devoted to lightening the loads of my brothers and sisters. This passage goes on to say that if we, if we don't consider it a delight and instead in, in our ego and pride we think that we're above stooping down to that level, we're above reaching down and picking somebody up, if we, if we think of that, then we have deceived ourselves because pride will always hinder brotherly love if we think we're something that we aren't. We have to be vulnerable, right? We, I, I talked about that too. We, we, we have to be vulnerable. Don't say, I, I, I can use help. When someone asks, how are you doing? Be willing to say, you know what? I'm not doing so hot. Could you pray for me? And see, there's a relationship that you and I can have with each other. You know, one of the things that our church council is doing is we're going through a list of, of who belongs to our family. Saying, who, who's missing? Who has not been here for a while? Who can we call and say hi to? And it's, it's weird. It's kind of awkward. Like, how do you start that conversation? Well, we're family. And say, hey, how are you? I love you. I miss you. Is there something I can pray for you about? 
because that's how we love one another. That's how we care for one another. And that's how we share burdens with one another. So I would encourage you, not only are we here in family and we're shaking hands and hugging and saying hi and building relationships, there are people who aren't here today. There are people who might need love and support. And for whatever reason, they aren't here. We don't know. And that's the point. We don't know. We should call and say, hi, how's it going? We're going through this, this directory update, right? Soon, here, probably within the next three weeks, you're going to have a printable directory you can take with you, take home and pray through those people and talk to those people or call those people. You also, if you went onto the Breeze app and you have that app and you have, you have a bigger directory there, right? It's, it's, it's even more people. And you can look and see who's, who's missing today. Who's not around this week? Who haven't I seen for a while? And say hi. Reach out and say hi. Say I love you. I want you to know I love you. I do that with my family. Every once in a while, my mom and I haven't talked for a, for a little while, or my dad and I haven't seen each other, you know, talked for a little while, or or my cousin or someone. I just I shoot a text. Hey, I just want to let you know I love you today. I miss you. It, it doesn't imply anything. It says I love you and I miss you. It's just me wanting to be relational and to say I'm here. I want to I want to be family. I want to bear the burdens with you. Going on in that verse, verse 4, that passage says, But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason about boasting for himself alone and not in respect to something else. We have to look at ourselves, and we say, I, I'm, I'm only where I am because of Jesus. If I really look at myself, I am only where I am and who I am because of Jesus. And there's nothing about me that I really want to boast about. There's nothing about me that I should elevate myself to a position that says, you're worse than I am. I should see, I'm here because of Jesus, and I want the same for my brother and sister. I want to reach out and carry them and lift them up. It does go on to say, there's a, uh, in verse uh, 5, it says, for each person will have to carry his own load. And, and there's an there's a understanding here that there are burdens that are heavy burdens that we are to carry for one another and help, help each other in. And then there is a load that each, each of us should carry on our own. Just like personal responsibility and daily living like, I shouldn't have to come over to your house and get you out of bed and get you dressed and put food in your mouth. I do that for my son, right? Barely. He does it himself pretty well. Now, now there are those times where a family member is burdened. You've, you've broke your legs and you're in a cast or something, and your arms are in a cast. Sure, we're going to come over and help you and, and, and carry that burden because it's obviously a greater burden than just the normal load people carry. So there's the normal things that we should carry as normal, responsible human beings, and we, as, as followers of Christ, should not enable our brothers and sisters to not do that. But there's a heavier burden, a, a deeper load, a, a thing that crushes our brothers and sisters where we say, I'm going to respond. And those things vary be, between circumstances. I don't need to come over to your house and make you dinner every day. But if you just had a baby or just been in through a huge surgery, maybe I do. You see, one is just the regular responsibility of a human and the other is, man, there's a burden here on this family. There's a burden that I want to come over and help. There have been times at our house, we have kids and they're sick for a month. I mean, they've been sick all, all winter long, it seems like. And, it's, and we're rugging, running ragged and we, we don't have time. And then, then Mathia's mom might come over and say, I'll just, I'll just fold laundry. Sweet. Thank you so much. Yes, I know it's something as a responsible human being I should do normally. But right now it is a burden and I'm feeling crushed by this enormous basket of laundry. And see, that's bearing each other's burdens. We care for one another so we can be relieved and, and find relief, find freedom, and live in freedom. So everything in our life is not a crisis. Some you have to carry on your own. But those that are crisis, those that are heavy burdens, we can lighten those loads. And then verse 6 says, The one who is taught the message must share his good deeds with the teacher. So, some would say this is another passage about supporting your pastor. Making sure as your pastor teaches the word that you, you make sure you compensate, you pay, that you take care of his needs. 
And that's scriptural, but that's, I don't know that that's here. It just seems odd that it's placed in the middle here, right? If that was the only reason that was there. What I see is this, that there's, there, and what commentators would say, not just me, right? It's that the one who is t- taught the message must share. So when, when I approach you and I, I come to you with truth and love to restore you and to pick you up, and then I, I, I stand there in truth and love to hold you up and bear your burden, I'm, I'm teaching you in truth the message and, and, and by showing you in action what love looks like. And that love should spur us on in this relationship. It says, the one who has taught the message must share. That word is koinonia. It's a fellowship. We must, must come in fellowship together. We can sit across from each other and be, be satisfied by that relationship and, and be encouraged by that fellowship. And it says his goods with the teacher. His goods is not, here's, here's 10 bucks. It's this, it's this actual rejoicing good. It's like, I, I have possessed something that is good and valuable in, in this relationship, and we want to share that in common and share these truths that we've learned and gleaned in common. That that's, what, that's more fellowship that happens. It's more relationship building ha- that happens. It's more about the Spirit of God leading us into a solid relationship when we carry each other's burdens. Number three, how else does the Spirit lead us? Well, it, He leads us to reap life from His Spirit. We would reap life. Verses 7 through 8. It says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows from the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. The the way Paul explains it is that Christians have two fields only in which they sow for the harvest. They can sow for the flesh, or they can sow into the field for the Spirit. That's the two places we can make the deposit. We will reap what we sow. John Stott says this, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, every time we nurse a grievance or entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. So we have to move ourselves out of there and stop sowing and investing in that way. If we continually sow to the flesh, we can't wonder why we don't reap a harvest of holiness and victory. If we continually sow to the flesh, we can't wonder why we don't reap a harvest of holiness and victory. Holiness is a harvest. Victory over sin is a harvest. And whether you reap it or not depends entirely on on if you're going to sow it, if you're going to live by it, if you're going to feed it. You see the books you read, the people you choose to hang around, the things you do for entertainment, the thoughts that you possess are acts of sowing. And the question is, are they of the Spirit or are they of the flesh? When we're sowing in the Spirit, we will reap the blessings then of a controlled, Spirit-controlled life. When we're sowing of the flesh, we will reap the benefits of the flesh. And this is a question of what are you investing yourself into? What are you investing in? And it goes back to the heart because it's not legalistic. It's not about a list. It's about the heart. It's about what we treasure above everything else. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a question of the heart. Sowing is a treasure issue. You reap what you sow. And finally, number four, how does the Spirit relate to us together? Well, He will strengthen you for every opportunity. He will strengthen you for every opportunity. Look at verses uh, 9 and 10. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. 
Listen, many, many people, many who, who are Christ followers or call themselves Christ followers, many become weary of doing good because it was about doing good for good's sake. It was just about trying to look the part and be the part instead of treasuring Christ above everything else and, and actually treasuring the relationships that God has given us. If we, if we are doing good for good's sake, we will always become weary and be defeated by the weariness of the flesh. But what God says is, is let this be bigger than that. Let it be a longing for the Spirit of God to, to grow in us fruit of the Spirit. And let it be a longing for you and I to relate to one another in love. Let it be a longing that, that even though it gets hard and it's weary at times, this is about the kingdom of God. See, compassionate ministry must and will make us weary because we have to rely on the strength of the Spirit of God. Contending for the gospel can be exhausting. Christians can and do become weary of doing what is good. But Paul says, keep on going. Keep sowing. Keep loving. Keep serving each other. Keep resisting pride. Keep rejecting false teachers. Keep bearing each other's burdens. Keep building one another up. Keep doing good and watch God work. That's what we want, isn't it? We want God in Christ through the power of His Holy Spirit to be our everything. There's a harvest to be had. And even if it takes years to see the fruit, it is worth it because Jesus plus nothing is everything. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray. Father, today we... We come before you grateful for the family of God you've adopted us into. But God, there are days we aren't very grateful or don't, at least don't show that. God, I pray you would grow us in that. That we would long for the fellowship and relationship of the body of Christ so we could strengthen each other. That we would treasure you more and treasure each other for the glory of God. God, produce a fruit in us that can only come from your spirit as we crave and long for you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's, let's sing a song and, and respond to God. Let's respond to Him as the treasure that He is. Let's respond to Him in prayer if you need to, or whatever, whatever you need. I'll be down front if you need to pray. As we sing, make this time about you responding to the treasure that you have in Christ. Let's sing.